one of the earliest pieces of advice that I got was give away everything. A way to get an invested resource in your company without having to, you know, pay the multiple six figure salaries and carry the 40% burden on top of that. And to be able to get started right. So you don't have to, excuse my language, unscrew it up later. So you don't bring a knife to a gunfight. If you're sitting down and doing budget planning and stuff like that, oh, well, a loyal customer is much happier. Look at all these statistics. And the at the end of the day, it's like, show me the money. In reality, our customers are on their own journey. What does that mean? That means they may have taken, <laughs> to quote, to quote a cartoon from a lot of you, they may have taken a left in Albuquerque. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to Future of Product. Today, my guest is Shane Smith. He's a customer experience and success expert, uh, the founder of Everetics. Shane, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, would you mind introducing yourself real quick? Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, too. Um, so my name is Shane Smith. I founded Everetics at the uh, end of 2022, probably the, uh, the less than ideal time to start a consulting company focused on uh, areas that, you know, a lot of the uh, businesses have been cutting and, you know, right or wrong, um, kind of with an endeavor to pay it, pay it forward. I come from a background, a software engineering background. And and then moved into support in 2000s, the dot bomb days, and from there have kind of progressed and and pretty much done almost every customer facing job in small and large uh, software companies along the way. Learned a lot of lessons, made a tremendous amount of mistakes, and had awesome mentors along the way. So, um, aside from the timing of mm -hmm. December 2022, uh, founding founding Everetics kind of as a way to pay it forward was something that I was better positioned in my life for uh, on the personal side and then went for it. It's been an interesting journey. I so appreciate you having me here. Thank you. Awesome. Oh, yeah. No, no, it's my pleasure. Um, I, was, I was really grateful that you reached out. I think um, having somebody who speaks to customer experience and customer support is super crucial, right? And you kind of point out that, you know, starting... Uh, late 2022, we've really seen this kind of crunch on, on the department, right? Um, so I'd, <laughs> yes. I'd love to get into that. Absolutely. Yeah, but, let's, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, just to start off, let, let's just real quick talk about the core mission of Everetics, right? Sure. Um, what exactly do you guys do? Um, you you <clears throat> mentioned kind of paying it forward, but what does that look like in practice? What does it look like in practice? So from an Everetics perspective, um, there are some things I can't divulge, <laughs> but but from a well, let's go customer experience. Customer experience includes the full customer journey as they experience it. Right. Right. So one of my favorite examples is to think about somebody walking into a sandwich shop and buying a sandwich, eating it, and then walking out the door, and then asking yourself, do they come back and why, or why not? And if you think about that experience, it started with why did you walk in the door in the first place, which is mm -hmm. clearly marketing, right? right? Or some sort of awareness, maybe dumb luck, but probably marketing. Yeah. Um, you had to buy your sandwich. You had to order it. You had to talk mm -hmm. to somebody. Who's that? Sales. Right. Right. Um, you sat down or you sat down, got up, went to the soda fountain, 
to fill up your uh, soda. There's no napkins. It's grody. It's nasty. Nobody wants to look at it. Who is that? And, you know, the SAS analogy might be. And some CSMs have debated me on this one. It might be CSM, right? And then, my gosh, you you got back to your table and your sub didn't have pickles on it. And nobody's Mm -hmm. there to be found. So, so is that customer support? Maybe. Mm-hmm. And then you walk out. And then when you walk out, <clears throat> who are they? So Everetix is, is a, a consulting firm that I started to really start to bridge and bring these silos of customer mm-hmm. experience together. It's easy to say everybody owns a customer journey. Right. In practice, um, those are things that we hear in town hall. We leave town hall and we go back and still do the same things that we always did before. Um, So we're trying to bring a holistic perspective and we are bringing a holistic perspective into looking Mm -hmm. at it. And each one of those uh, interactions is, is hugely important and impacts whether or not you're going to go back to the store and buy the sandwich again. Mm -hmm. No, totally. So in that analogy, would you say that, you know, so I think the kind of traditional line of thinking is customer support is at the bottom of the funnel, right? It's it's the last step. It's how we retain, right? But what you're kind of saying is, though, actually, customer support touches all of these different facets yeah. of the buying journey. Yeah. If you look at if you look at uh, and consider something called the uh, peak end rule, the peak end rule is is based in human psychology. When we go to sleep, what we retain for the mm-hmm. next day and what our memories are kind of based on that very, very high level peak. And so emotional highs and lows along an experience are remembered mm-hmm. and, and the end of an experience is remembered. Mm-hmm. All right. So, and that's really important. And that creates something in a journey mapping or customer journey mapping that we often call uh, moments of memory. Mm-hmm. And, and those are really important. So here, here's when it comes to support, yeah. overwhelmingly, if you look at customer interactions, potential peak end moments of memory, yeah. and the number of interactions support and service have with our customers um, is greater than every other organization put together combined. Mm. So is support important? Um, yes. Yeah. And it's, and it's, and it's obvious. So, and to your point too, around, it's kind of seen as the bottom of the funnel. I think that's true. Um, although, although that's not to degrade the importance of providing that great experience right along the way. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, it's something that I, I think we see a lot in SaaS, right, is this dedication to um, optimizing within a silo or optimizing within a department, right? Yeah. So when we're selling something, we're optimizing to make the sale. When we're marketing something, we're optimizing to push people into later stages of engagement, right? Um, but when you have kind of this overarching customer success focus, what you're always optimizing for really is that customer who's going to come in, who's going to retain, who's going to potentially recommend you to other users. I, absolutely, I mean, absolutely, because of those moments of memory. And mm-hmm. and if I could throw this in there, too, i um, very passionate about it. Yeah. Um, one of the things that we have learned, I think, over the past decade or so is 
understanding our customer journey is important. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think anybody with a, with a brain can, can easily get to that point, understanding, you know, the different steps that a customer goes through. However, when it comes to us sitting in our ivory tower mm -hmm. on a, around a desk and a whiteboard and defining the customer journey, that's fine as long as it stops as a frame of reference. Mm. In reality, our customers are on their own journey. Right. What does that mean? That means they may have taken, <laughs> to quote to quote a cartoon from a lot of you, they may have taken a left in Albuquerque. <laughs> and, and they're customers, they're humans, and they have the volition to be able to do that. It's onus on us, especially in these times, to be able to be agile and adapt to right. those lefts in Albuquerque, as the case mm -hmm. may be. And, and I see, at least a with a lot of the companies, I guess, that I've been mm -hmm. talking with um, in past experiences, there's often a gap in that kind of philosophical paradigm of who owns mm -hmm. the customer journey. Right. Absolutely. I, just to kind of loop us back to what you were saying at the beginning with, with kind of this uh, trend towards de-emphasizing customer success at a lot of these companies, it, it seems counterintuitive, right? Because this is a time economically where so many SaaS companies, especially PLG SaaS companies, are actually yeah. have the worst retention that they've ever experienced, right? Yeah. Um, why do you think that that kind of misguided directioning and leadership is taking place? What, what is it about customer success that's made it be de-emphasized? So it's really interesting. I think there are, there are two there are two major aspects going on, or at least in a lot of the decisions that had to be made in the beginning of this year, and and I tiptoed carefully on that because um, from my heart, mm -hmm. I believe that you know most of the companies that had to make these decisions right. would have preferred to avoid them, right? Um, and <clears throat> One of the things I'm very passionate about is actually connecting the customer experience mm. to financials. Why? Mm. Because, and it's a very unsexy topic. However, it's who pays our paychecks at the end of the day, right? So, so you don't bring a knife to a gunfight if you're sitting mm. down and doing budget planning and stuff like that. Oh, well, a loyal customer is much happier. Look at all these statistics and the, at the end of the day, it's like, show me the money. Mm. Where does the money come in? So the first part of my answer in context of that is there, especially in the uh, startup areas, mm. um, venture capital or private equity firms often own or control mm. or majority, majority control, you know, a firm and its decisions. Right. And there, there is a financial um, guidance that's often used, mm. and it's called the Rule of 40. And mm. what the Rule of 40 states is over some period of time, I care about the growth of the company in terms mm. of percentage. <laughs> and then I'm going to add that to the percentage of cash flow. Mm. So breaking that down, Rule of 40 how many more sales have I gotten? Mm -hmm. And then how much more money do I have? Right. Now let's look at customer success and support for that matter, mm -hmm. especially yeah. <clears throat> on the second half of that cash flow support 
right or wrong, it just is the way the world works, is a uh, cost of goods sold. Right. Right? It's right. From, a, from a financial perspective, it's on the budget sheet. It's the same as a server sitting in the closet under the stairs mm. at the business. It just is. Yeah. Um, so ways to reduce that labor cost have influenced some pretty hard decisions mm -hmm. because I increase cash flow. Right. Right. Customer success is in slightly a different group. Customer success typically are the, just for your listeners, are typically the people that are building relationships and going after the renewals. Um, so you were a subscription customer this right. year. Are you going to subscribe next year as well? Mm. Please don't kill me if you're in customer success with that <laughs> oversimplification. Um, and then they may, may sell you more products. But that also is is not very emphasized in that rule of 40. Mm. So companies came to a point in, in the beginning of this year right. of 2023. And right or wrong, the people that are funding them... Mm -hmm. um, said, we have this metric, the standard metric called rule of 40. Do you mm -hmm. want to continue to be funded? If so, you need to increase your sales and you need to cut your costs. Right. If that number, you add those two percentages together, which you're not allowed to do in statistics, by the way. But mm -hmm. if you add those two statistics together and it's a number equal to 40 we'll, or more, we'll keep funding you. I so see. what do you do in that situation? You have to cut. Right. You have to cut. Mm, I see. And it feels like it's it's very much optimizing for the short term, right? Because it, like we said, then you're putting your sales in a in kind of a silo and saying, just bring in people. We don't care yep. if they retain, be, you know, come what be, right? Yeah. Um, so w would you say that, uh, and you mentioned kind of CX financial modeling, right? Yeah. Um, without going, you know, no trade secrets <laughs> or anything, obviously. But um, is that kind of the antidote to this problem in some ways? It is, it is part of the antidote to the mm. problem. Mm. So, so in my experience, and I'm guilty of this as well, mm. uh, being somebody that's focused on the customer and the customer experience and then thinking of myself and reflecting on myself as a customer, it, it innately, I understand the importance mm. of that, right? right. And, and I think if you're a human and you have a soul, you also understand that. Yeah. That's not how finances work. Mm -hmm. Right? So so very often we would go into or I would go into budget planning meetings and I would mm -hmm. say all the things, you know, hey, well, you know, a loyal customer, a happy customer buys more and all these things. And then ultimately it comes down to so what? And there's mm -hmm. a cornucopia of customer statistics on this, but that's math right. and that's hard. Mm. So, so one of the things that we spent a lot of time on was mm. actually going out in a statistically accurate way mm -hmm. um, and building a financial CX model that has mm. various inputs. So if you wanna make a decision Let's just say, if you want to make a decision uh, and you believe that may drop your customer satisfaction and support by 5%, mm -hmm. 
you know, it's tough times out there. So maybe that's the right decision to make. Right. What does that actually affect when it comes Mm. to your gross revenue or your expansion and your churn rate? And that's where myself and I I see this so often, like the support Mm -hmm. leaders faces gloss over when we start talking about financial. It's just, Mm -hmm. it feels dirty to us to do it. So we didn't demystify that effectively from Mm -hmm. a, in a statistically accurate way. So we can, we can say if we're going to cut two people and that's going to increase our response time. And that historically has had a 3%, you know, variation on our customer satisfaction. So what? Here, Mm -hmm. this is, this is, this is the so what good or bad, you know, or different. Should I, should I invest two extra headcount? Right. Um, in the organization, what will that do? That's will raise X, Y, and Z. Hold me accountable to that. How will that help the finances? Boom. There you go. And it has been, it has been riveting and eye opening to see that financial model come to, uh, come to, uh, kind of fruition. And, I say that because I, I personally, having walked in these shoes and been frustrated out of too many board meetings and and budget planning sessions, it became very I became very impassioned to understand right. um, how finances work. Mm-hmm. And being a software engineer, this is the last thing I ever thought I would explore. <laughs> And sitting down and working with the finance people and the CFOs mm-hmm. and really understanding the way that businesses looked at is really, really important. So Absolutely. long answer, but that's kind of how I view the the financially modeling and where it fits into the situation that we're all facing today. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel like it, it makes so much sense, right? Uh, so many departments are having to align to revenue at this point, right? Like, I mean, there's the more obvious ones of marketing. Um, but when it comes to customer success, if you're seen as more of a, a line item on the cost front, I, there is, I, I can't think of another way to really analyze what the impact of either trimming or adding to your efforts there is going to be um, without, you know, this level of line of sight. We, we have to, you can't bring a knife to a gunfight. Right. You're going into, you're going into budget planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I say this a little bit flippantly, but, but so please don't take it in a negative context. Yeah, of course. But we're in budget planning and there's a reason that meeting starts with the word budget. Mm-hmm. It's about finances. Yeah. So, exactly. so wouldn't, wouldn't you want to have budget kind of information, financial information going into there? Absolutely. The answer is absolutely yes. 100%. Yes. Yeah, 100%. Uh, I would say every department should, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's part of the reason why I I was really fascinated with talking to you is I I haven't heard other people, you know, really express this when it comes to customer experience. And it seems to be like, if anything, the one place where it makes the most sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know, I'll give you, I'll give you a real example, um, if you don't mind. Yeah. my my wife and I <laughs> shop at Walmart Neighborhood Market for grocery mm-hmm. shopping. And it was a few months ago, we were driving back from Walmart, which is not renowned for their customer success or customer <laughs> experience, okay? Yep. What are they renowned on? Price. Cheap. 
right? Yep. Yeah. Okay. And after we bought our groceries, we're driving back and I had this, this reflective point where, mm-hmm. where I'm like, oh my gosh, that's, I am such a hypocrite. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm talking about the customer <laughs> experience, how important yep. it is. I have three or four other grocery stores, you know, mm-hmm. the, the big names, the Ralphs and the Albertsons and all that. But we go, we go to Walmart. Why? And, and it really bothered me. Mm. And, and on the drive back, uh, it occurred to me, and I was so relieved that actually I wasn't a hypocrite. Mm. The reason, the reason we are shopping at Walmart Mm. is because the customer experience is the same as what it is at those other stores. You get to the line, there's only one cashier. I, I Mm. can get that at Albertsons. I can get that, you know, at Walmart. So why am I going to go pay more? And exactly. in the SaaS industry, what I believe has happened is very mm. similar to this, where we have degraded the customer experience. Mm-hmm. Some have degraded the customer experience, right or wrong, because they had to. And then what happens is you are in a you are now competing on price. You're in a price mm-hmm. war. Nobody wins that. Totally. Nobody wins that game. So seeing a lot of that. And the reason I guess I hedged a little bit on that is, is some of the prospects I have been talking to understand. Mm. And typically they're the larger firms, which I've also found very interesting over this year, mm. understand how valuable that customer experience is and right. where they're trying to attack uh, their version of the rule of 40 mm. is scaling white glove treatment versus cutting treatment you know, mm. all together. Super fascinating. Anyway, I, I love that story because it, yeah. it hit me and I thought for a long time I was incriminating myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a great example. I, uh, I think I've actually written a little bit about um, kind of my own come to Jesus moment with uh, ad blocking <laughs> as, a, as an advertiser, right? Yeah. Like, huh, there's, there's something fundamentally broken here if I don't want to see the thing that I do, right? Um, but all that being said, um, so you operate kind of in the realm of fractional leadership, right? Um, we have, yeah. So, so Everetics has uh, several different offerings um, with, with the, the support aspect, um, having, having been in a leader of an organization, both in small and large companies, typically SaaS software, there is a place that's very challenging for a small company uh, mm-hmm. you know, let's call it, you know, 50 people or less. When you come to this point in this realization, like, oh, shoot, I have to, I have to understand mm-hmm. and I have to build back in, you know, support and stuff like that. The, the reality is a, you know, a vice president or, mm-hmm. or an SVP or even, you know, a director of support, they're expensive. We're expensive. Right. And there's a reason that, that, we often try to recreate the wheel mm-hmm. in startup companies, and it's usually money. Fractional leadership, and, and this doesn't just apply to um, support. Uh, you see mm-hmm. it in CS and sales and stuff like that. It is really a an, a way to get an invested resource in your company without having to, you know, pay the multiple six figure salaries and carry the 40% burden on top of that. 
and to be able to get started right so you don't have to excuse my language unscrew it up later right and so fractional leadership is uh, certainly something that we offer then on on top of that kind of our governing our governing service is we have something called a support readiness assessment Mm. And the support readiness assessment um, will look at a support organization for a software company. It'll assess it across the seven fundamentals of customer mm-hmm. support um, across 56 different elements within there. So think of like a balanced scorecard, if you will. And yeah. then what I appreciate and a lot about the uh, program and, and where it has differed from some others that have done similar things in the past. Is this an assessment? It's not an audit. Everybody's at their own place in the journey. So there, there are, there are right things to do and clearly wrong things to do. And then there's also right time to do them, Mm. right? You can't boil the ocean. So our assessment comes in, we, in a very short period of time, six weeks or less, mm-hmm. um, which is almost unheard of. Um, we not only provide, you know, 50 pages of documents and conversations, you know, with, with, with the, uh, the employees and the staff and customers. Uh, we also propose a roadmap, like mm-hmm. imagine you're a support leader walking into a brand new company and they want to hire you as the EVP of support. Those do exist, by the way. Right. And they're going to say, well, what's your plan? Here's your plan. And here's what you do when. So so you're going to get your short wins. You're going to get your long poles and, you know, your midterm wins in there mm-hmm. as well and sequencing it. Um, the reason I go into that detail is because all of our other services mm-hmm. really are uh, framed within that framework itself. See. So, so we also offer a, a one day session where, Hey, I just have a problem mm-hmm. that's around this, a virtual session, you know, let's just go in solve the problem, do some follow up and, and kind of like a touch and go, you know, if you're an airplane guy, mm-hmm. touch and go the, the, and then because of this industry or this year, rather in the industry, there has been a lot of people that have been promoted very rapidly mm-hmm. and surprising what just in full transparency, when I started Everetics and I put coaching on there mm-hmm. as a service and kind of built that out because everybody else does it. Right. <laughs> so put it up. And that, that has been something that has uh, coming up over and over and over mm. for me. And I have a couple of coaching clients that I work with and, and a few more, but they all fit this scenario and they're awesome. By the way, I can't even believe I get paid for it. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. No, that's awesome. Kind of, uh, yeah. Paying it forward to the next generation of, of leaders in that space. Right. That's great. It's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, you know, you and I have talked off camera a little bit about your background, right? But I, I think we could go into a little bit more depth on that real quick, just because uh, I think you have a really interesting kind of origin point into sure. this industry. Sure. Okay. Um, cut me off if I go too long. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so my, my, uh, I go, I'm a little bit old. I go back to uh, Commodore VIC 20 days. 
for those that want to do that. We, we all have strengths and talents in the world. And my, my personal God-given talent was programming. Um, I was first published um, using a Commodore VIC-20 in one of those magazines that you had to go type everything in, and there was a checksum number in fifth grade. <laughs> and and over the year, and it was just a thing that came easy. I can pick up computer languages, you know, in a, in a heartbeat, which is not a transferable to verbal languages, mm-hmm. just or liberal art. <laughs> FYI, I did pass a. Spanish two in 10th grade in high school with a D minus and a promise that I wouldn't take Spanish three based on class participation. So, <laughs> and I've never worked harder in a class in my entire life than that class. So that, that being said, um, I, I mean, this was my kind of innate talent. So I went to college, um, joined the air force. I was, did a variety of programming roles there. The one that really stuck with me was, uh, I would, I targeted ICBM missiles, the Minutemen, mm. the peacekeepers that the United States have. And, uh, that set a frame of reference on life or death that was impactful to me, mm. got out of the air force and, and did some consulting gigs. There was a company that we all wanted to work for back then. And so this is around the dot bomb days. Um, and for some reason, uh, they they accepted me. However, mm-hmm. I I had to do a support role, right. and I was a Java architect at the time. But I had to take a support role, though this company was the place. Mm-hmm. And I moved my family across the country and to Boston at the time, and joined this company. And and in fairness, I would have pushed a broom. I would have done the toilets, anything to work at this company up to and including support. So I took the support role, was ostracized from my my engineering community. How could you possibly do that? That's so beneath you. And I did this role for six months. And what I'll never forget and greatly appreciate is there was an opportunity that came up to become a manager at this company. That's the dark side of the force, right? <laughs> so, so as a software engineer, the last thing we want to do yeah. is be management. Hmm. The, however, the support role was so tremendously challenging and hard. Yeah. Um, I probably would have done the toilets if they let mm-hmm. me stay there instead of that support role. Right. Um, once again, I got lucky and they picked me you know, for this manager role. And I remember a customer escalation that I had been dealing with as a support engineer on for the week leading up to the Friday, you know, before the weekend. And it was a hard, it was a really hard customer escalation and, you know, emotions were high and just the textbook challenge escalation. Mm -hmm. And then over the weekend, um, I became a manager so on Monday, I had to go back into the same exact escalation with the same exact customer, except I had a manager title. And I didn't change that much over the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although the the demeanor and disposition mm-hmm. of the customer uh, to me yeah. 
changed a tremendous amount over the weekend. Wow. And that left me with, with a perspective of, of like, holy cow, whose job is harder? Mm. Totally. Right? And, and before servant leadership was something you could go on LinkedIn and search for and see, I think I accidentally fell into kind of a servant leadership mindset very early on. Right. And I was also graced. I, I was talking with somebody the, the other day throughout, you know, the next 20 years. Um, I hit the Powerball jackpot leadership lottery for mentors. I literally have had zero bad bosses. Mm. Zero. Every single person I, ha I have had the uh, privilege of working for has in some way, shape or form, most of the time, like, greatly uh, enriched me, mm -hmm. mentored me, took me under their wings. And um, that's that I appreciate, especially in hindsight. And when I say like the pay it forward moment, I know most mm -hmm. people don't have that opportunity. A lot have the opposite. The that's, that's what I'm indebted to, I guess. Mm. That's a great way to look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, all of us are kind of standing on the back of the people who helped us to get to where we are. Right. And to learn what we needed to learn to get there. Yeah. Um, so I love that you emphasize that, uh, you, um, just to pivot slightly, cause I, sure. I love this term. Um, you use the term right to renew, right? right? So you say the importance of exceptional service is the right to renew, right? Could you define that and, and kind of explain your, your philosophy on that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so renewals are typically, typically handled in most SaaS companies um, by a customer success manager or maybe an account manager. Mm. Um, there may be, there may, there probably is a lot of different customer success or hopefully account management mm -hmm. reach outs along the way right what from those groups however there's also a uh, let's call it a one-year annual contract there's going to be a year's worth of interactions mm. to come in and and have that conversation in an impactful right. and meaningful way the right the right to renew is a responsibility of customer service and support frankly, mm -hmm. everybody else, although we talk with our customers more than everybody else put together. So right. we have to own this. <laughs> we, we, we have to make the platform mm -hmm. acceptable for our AMs, account managers, and our mm -hmm. CSMs, our customer success managers, to begin that conversation. They have to have the right to renew our customers. If we deliver mm -hmm. a crappy experience, yeah. 25% of customers will leave after one, right? Um, so they, they aren't enabled and in a position to do that without firefighting. And it's killing customer success in CSM right now, the firefighting. Mm. Yeah. It is so important for customer support and service to, right. to provide that platform for the people that are effectively getting money for the company that equals into our paychecks mm -hmm. to be able to have that conversation in a, in an effective way. 
Totally. Totally. So would, would you say that it's kind of, um, what would you say is leading to that, that firefighting tendency, right? Like what, why is it that customer success and support teams are always now prototypified by having to fight fires? Oh, uh, so the, the, I have several opinions on this. Yeah. The one thing that has happened, mm. um, over the past 20 years is something with regards to voice of the customer. Believe it or not, if you go back when voice of the customer just started out, yeah. it was actually pinned to support. Mm. Support should do this. You're talking to the customers more than everybody else. You should do this. And they quickly realized that, that the DNA of a support person very often was not congruent with that of a person that has to ask for money. I didn't want to say sales, right? Yeah. And in this kind of realization, we birthed a new organization of customer success. This is very early 2000s, maybe late 90s, depending on, you know, where you want to stick the pin. And in my experience, as a customer support leader at the time, I, congratulations, take this, you go, you go and do this. They also had a revenue aspect to the role. So, so very often they're not costs of goods sold, customer right. success. Okay, so that's good. Now what has happened, is, and there's varying opinions on this, in my opinion though, is we have somewhat come full circle back to that early uh, 2000s, late 90s mentality. And what we're asking a customer success manager to do Mm-hmm. is absolutely unreasonable in my opinion generally speaking manage this book manage this book you have there are a lot of csms if they're listening when i say 100 they'll be like i wish i had 100 you know <laughs> it could be 800 yeah. different customers oh and by the way i want you to touch base with them you know once a quarter mm. we can argue about the effectiveness of that and I want you to get the renewals. By the way, I also want you to upsell and support didn't pick mm-hmm. up the phone or <laughs> didn't answer their email. So how do you right. fix this issue? Oh, and by the way, CSM, you need to be a technical expert too in order to do this. It yeah. is it is a very, very, very challenging space right now. And they have the pressure of revenue on top of them for, right. for that. So the, it's so it's so vitally important to take a step outside of ourselves, look at what others are being fa- or are facing, mm-hmm. and and to address that accordingly and enable them. Customer success and sales they pay they pay the bills, they just do. Yep. So we should all be subservient, and mm-hmm. the best partners that we can possibly be. It's on us, not them. Right to be that best partner, enable them so we can continue to get our paycheck. That's the whiff them, the what's in it for me. Right. And, and the, the unsexy kind of answer to the question is, is it really is relationship. I can build you a process that, Mm. that forces you to have certain amount of meetings and do the, all these other things. But if you're the support Mm. person or the marketing person or the finance person, it's on all of us to to be helping sales and to be helping customer success. It's on us, right? It's our, the volition has to be here. Mm-hmm. I have, 
never met a customer success manager that has or CS person where you how can I help you? Mm. Just from that pure standpoint that has not answered that question. Uh, with a little bit of disbelief sometimes that you know, what do you want? What do you want, yeah. Shane? And that I mean that's the answer. It's it's really relationship. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And this kind of de-emphasization of customers as people, right? Um, more looking at them as numbers, I think is always the root of a lot of these problems, right? Yeah, um, it's, so, it's so true. It, you, you mentioned uh, kind of this, this dichotomy between the two departments, right? Sales and customer success. Um, you've, you've mentioned in your, your LinkedIn profile uh, that you are sales averse, right? Oh, personally, um, yes. Personally, how do you <laughs> how do you reconcile that as an entrepreneur, right? Because I know founder sales is is a major part of getting something like this off the ground. Oh, uh, that that's that is a fascinating question, and and I'm really glad that I'm really glad that you asked it. So one of so one of the things that I did in the very beginning, it mm -hmm. was kind of a self-assessment of myself. And, and I realized, again, that my one of my weakest points was was selling. I, I mm -hmm. as much as I like to financially model and show the numbers, selling it has never, ever been something that's natural uh, mm -hmm. for me. That that being said, uh, just kicked off this firm. I need to go sell, right? So I I went to the training, talked with a lot of people, had a lot of mentorship, and one of the things I wished I had learned earlier in my journey, specifically about five months earlier, yeah. um, was that wasn't authentic to me, mm. and. <clears throat> When I realized that, I, I also realized that I could sell, if you will, by being authentic. And, you know, a real, a real example, real example I'll leave you with is yeah. yesterday, mm -hmm. somebody reached out to me, we, we, over the weekend, weirdly, and scheduled a call. This person is nowhere to be found. You know, I have Sales Navigator and all this. Uh, no idea where, who or where they are. I know them now. Yeah. Uh, although out of the blue, and it was a person in customer experience that mm. similar scenario, learning a lot, a lot of different things going on. And we had a half an hour call that went about, and I don't know, an hour and a half. And it was a great call. I, I highly enjoyed it. At the end of the call, um, with no pretense, Shane, what are the packages that you offer? I'd really like to work with you. Yeah. I didn't sell. <laughs> I didn't sell, you know, and, and that, that has been my, my uh, typical kind of funnel inbound. And by being authentic and being able to jump on the phone and like, I just want to help you. I just want to help you. Mm. Uh, like there was yeah. a limit. There is a limit, right? And <laughs> I think most people yeah. realize that. <laughs> Although uh, approaching it from the heart and authentically mm. uh, is been the way that I guess you could say I sell. Yeah. 
Yeah, right on. No, I think that's a great, that's a great lesson, right? Like I hope that people listening who are also sales averse uh, take that to heart because I, I do think that there's so much to be said for just uh, showcasing your abilities through your words and actions, right? As opposed to it, it really crafting is. a sales pitch. It really is. And and I realize that there are, there are different sides to this, this thought. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest pieces of advice that I got was give away everything. Mm. give away everything i can come in with that support readiness assessment i can tell you what's wrong and and or what maybe you should be doing and these other things you can also go on google for almost anything and find almost anything and in ai my lord Mm -hmm. you can do it so so that information in of itself isn't particularly valuable having that information and saying, Oh crap, how do I do this? Mm. That's where the value is. Right. So I'm in the give away everything I can camp. And you know, so far it's worked out. Awesome. No, I I love that. I love that. Well, Shane, this has been an absolute pleasure. Um, Is there anything you want to leave the people with? You know, the, the only thing I would say is, or a couple things I would say is thank you. I appreciate everyone (laughs) listening and thank you Max as well. Oh, my pleasure. Uh, you know, if you're interested, I'm on LinkedIn. I post all almost all the time, Shane Smith, um, or look up Everetics or our website, everetics.com. So. Perfect. Perfect. And don't be awesome. shy. I'm not going to sell you because I can't. <laughs> yeah, you've, you've heard. You've heard the evidence. <laughs> awesome. Well, Shane, uh, thank you again. Uh, this has been so much fun. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right.